London, UK. I'm back. We're back. Couldn't go away for that long. My bell's ready. Let's get. Okay. We're, we're, we're now gearing up. Becca. PPD sandwiches. Come on, get that coffee. We're going to get from LinkedIn Live. 15 seconds. Go. Ten, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Hello, in the weird and wild, wonderful world of the architecture online. I'm Stephen Drew from the Architecture Social, and I am back in the fold. I am back. I know I've been away. I've been a little bit busy, but. I'm never going to stay away for too long. And just while I'm starting the adventure, I'm here with a real podcast host. But this time, <laughs> it's going to be sitting in the driver's seat. And there's going to be two parts to this episode. There's going to be the one where I get critiqued on my podcast setup, and I haven't shown any of this. And then we're going to go deep and meaningful into bottlenecks and lower fees and all the fee squeeze the fee squeeze exactly fee squeeze isn't that a brilliant thing with the fantastic rion willard rion thank you very much thank you very much the virtual audience i'm loving these sound effects do you okay well that's a nice segue so i downloaded a few sounds so i've got my the fake audience here very nice very nice they make all noises and then I've got like electronic dance music and crazy stuff. So, so when you really want to knock it up a level, <laughs> we're getting going. <laughs> so I've got that. But right, okay, I've got to keep this professional. But just before we do that, I've got a few other things as well. I keep it so professional on my part. No, well, you know, it's more for the wider audience. I wouldn't oh, want I to see. lose. Right, okay. I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to let everyone down now. And I am a member of the Reba Council, so I have to be. I have oh. to keep these. They're all my views. They're all my views, Reba. They're all my views. And so, you know, we've got to start off with a bit of a David Brent dance. <laughs> you know, so I got that. I thought I'd get a few memes in there, and I have an architecture meme here as well. So I found, if, did anyone know that Frank Gehry was actually on The Simpsons? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I've got my memes, I've got my dances, and that was what I thought I'd get critiqued on. As well as that, I've got backgrounds and stuff, so you can get a nice background, we can get a nice it. bit of colours. So I'm really, I've gone all out for you, Rian. How, how are you feeling, though? I'm loved. I'm are you feeling... <laughs> You're feeling love, I, I, and, a, and a, like a warm sense of nostalgia. As I was saying yeah. to you earlier, I feel I feel like you know it's brought me back to my childhood, early Saturday mornings when I'd watch Going Live, yeah. And I and I aspired to be on that show, and well, this and, is it. Well, we are we are on LinkedIn, we are in the audience. And just a reminder for anyone watching: you can drop a comment at any point, and we can choose to bring it up on the big screen. So if during this you have a question. For Rian or myself, you can ask us and we can potentially. So, have you ever worked in radio, Stephen? No, no, not yet. 
Not yet. Why? Yeah, the mate. You think so? You I think, think so? I think he'd be fantastic. Well, you haven't heard my questions yet, so I've got to do that <laughs> first, haven't I? Okay. So the topic, as we discussed in the emails, which I which I loved, squeezy, easy squeezy, lemon peasy, the fees being squeezed in architecture. The, the fees squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. So we we were at an interesting time. So just before we spoke and got ready to go live here. It's an interesting time because ARB has just been coming out talking about maybe changing the education system as well. It's from changing the old school part one, part two. I'm a part two. That would be nice if uh, ARB changes so I can be an architect. I wouldn't mind that. But maybe that will affect the businesses. Maybe that will that's going to have a knock on effect and everything. And ARB are looking at as well international architects and mm -hmm. how you know if you're an international qualified architect how you can actually um is make it easier to you know um be an architect registered architect in the uk because you can do all these years overseas but it's been quite arduous sometimes to get that um but it's kind of it's, it's kind of ridiculous that, 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 that there isn't more fluidity internationally between architectural qualifications I and mean, architecture isn't i mean we get really you know, I, I mean, I see this a lot in, say, the larger big practices like your Grimshaws yeah. and your Ice Pages. Big, and they, these are big practices with massive amounts of international architects in the first place. Yeah. And their education is, you know, it's all of a high standard, particularly in in, in Europe and you know, and well, you know, Australia, the US. Yeah. Um, and for architects, and they they might remain in a in a big practice for ten years and. Just because they're qualified elsewhere, they're not allowed to call themselves an architect. And then you get to the situation where they're saying, you know, they call themselves architect registered in the Netherlands or architect registered in Italy or whatever it is because they can't mm. use the word. And it's just, it seems a bit pointless, really. Yeah. And particularly with the kind of digital global world that we're, that we're living in and the ability to be able to work remotely. You know, the States is even worse because, you know, you're not qualified state to state. So once yeah. you leave New York, New York State, for example, you're no longer qualified in New Jersey. Man, yeah. So, well, I think, I think you're, I think you're right. Now, I was talking about all the memes and stuff at the start. That was a poor introduction on my presenter behalf. So, Rian, as well as <laughs> doing the business of architecture podcast, you actually run your own architecture practice, and I think that's important for everyone to understand. So, this is your URL below, right? Thanks so very keep, much. Yeah, so we'll keep that up for a bit. Because that's a bit of context for our viewers here. Because what's important is while you do the podcast, you do run your own architecture practice. I, so go I on. Do. I do. I do. But to be honest with you, I don't do that much architecture these days. Interesting. So, so architecture is more like a, a nice paid hobby for me these days. Right. So I have a couple of projects on. But the business of architecture... Um, has grown into a full-blown, you know, it is a business consultancy. Uh, yeah. So, so Enoch Sears and myself—I don't know if you know Enoch in the yes. in, in the US. So him and I, um, we we kind of joined forces, if you like. And yeah. now the majority of my time is spent really as a, as a, as a full-time business consultant. We've got clients all over the world from the US, from the UK, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Um, yeah. And that is, that's, that's what most of my time is spent doing these days, which that's is amazing. That's interesting. That's which interesting. Is, 
which is yeah, yeah. which is which has been a result of the of the podcasts and then Enoch and I kind of coming together you know we've Enoch and I've been working we've been collaborating since I don't know 2014 2015 something something like that yeah and then over the last 12 months I've gotten more and more involved with the yeah there you go here we go. We'll have a, there, I forgot to say we can browse around on this format, isn't it? So absolutely. I mean, if you go to the smart practice method, that's okay. I'll that go back. Our, that's our main, uh, our program essentially. Very that cool. We, that we launch for our, that we've launched for architects. So we've got about we've got about fifty odd clients at the moment. Amazing. So that's interesting. So as well as practicing architecture and you do a bit less of it, you're in, you yeah. see you're involved with a lot of architecture practices as well. Yes. So yes. especially when we're talking about bottlenecks and we're talking about the fees being squeezed, that's a yeah. bit of a tongue twister. But when we're talking about that, you see it on a lot of your clients as well. So I think that's important for the viewers to mention. So you've got your own practice, but then you also see how people are affected and let's maybe there's freestyle on that a bit so let me yeah. i've got to forget i've forgotten almost how i get rid of this there you go yeah there you go it's been a little while so tell us a bit about what's your thoughts at the moment because i do notice um a fee squeeze and when i especially was in recruitment and when i saw companies in particular you know, sometimes it was a case of having offices which are not based in the UK as a way to outsource work and mm -hmm. then get the fees lower. I almost felt it was like a race to the bottom, if it that is. makes sense, when you've got architectural practices competing to lower I mean, the fees. It, it's, 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 it's bonkers. And, and I mean, a lot of it is there's, there's, a, there's lots of different reasons why it's happening. You know, on one mm. part of it, particularly when we look at public and institutional work, and even with commercial yeah. clients and developers, they'll be, you know, essentially they're often coming to the architects too late yeah. in the process anyway, right? So they've done a lot of their initial appraisals and works, and then they, they're basically looking for someone to fit a very constrained box of yeah. here's the service that we want and require, so we yeah. need you to do this. And they've kind of done that in order to, to squeeze the fees. You know, in, in public yeah. procurement, there's often a project manager or somebody whose sole job is to make sure that the architect fees are as low as possible. Yeah. Right? So developers do this as, do this as well. Um, and it very much commoditizes what architectural services are. Um, and then architects, we are responsible for our own fee squeeze. We are responsible for it. We have been creating it. The lack of business acumen and knowledge or even the, the, the paradigm of framing architecture as a service, particularly yeah. in our education, that conversation needs to be integrated more and yeah. for us to be more aware that actually it is, we are operating in a commercial and service-based industry and mm. often we don't want to be. Um, and if we're, if we're unable to kind of deal with that as a, a fact and celebrate it, yeah, um, it leaves us vulnerable to not having, you know, for not learning about negotiations, to not learning about marketing, to not learning about, um, you know, how to how to get premium fees, you know, not yeah. not knowing how to, um, you know, put someone through um, a, a sales process. And what we end up doing is we're mimicking. Um, often what we've been, you know, the kind of culture that we've picked up at university, which is, you know, kind of work hard, 
let me do more work. Let me show you what I can do. The portfolio culture, the crit culture. I mean, again, that has its place. I'm not saying that's not you know, that these are bad things. It's just that yeah. you can't forget as an architect, we do spend a, a prolonged period of, you know, uh, of gestation, if you like, learning how to become an architect and all the skills around it. Uh, and there's a certain culture around that which which negates the business context and the financial context and the economic context. So when we go into, you know, uh, setting up our own businesses, it's very rare that anybody's got any business skills or have learned about it. And then we're going straight into negotiating with typically highly sophisticated, financially literate clients who negotiate hard yeah. and they know they have strategies to make sure that their suppliers give them cheap, cheap goods and architects are very vulnerable to it. And then we yeah. find ourselves... You know, I mean, the thing I hear from architects so often is just giving away free work. Just, I mean, at all scales of practice. I've interviewed large practices, they give away free work. Small practices, they're giving away free work. Then we go into looking at, you know, lots of students who will be coming out of university and they're setting up their own little freelance businesses and they are undercut, um, you know, other practices. And it's like, okay, well, then that has an impact as well because if you're going to be undercutting lots of larger practices... Don't be surprised when you're getting a job and your and your salary is low. Yeah. It all it all starts to have uh, this this kind of impact, if you like. Right. Yeah. So, get the, the the free work that's a real. I mean that that just as an industry just has got to stop. You wouldn't you wouldn't consider lawyers doing this kind of stuff, right? They give yeah, away they, they give they away work, but arch- architects will are convinced you know, much of the time that let me just wow them with this piece of work. You know, the, the a site, a site plan comes in and us as architects, we, we love design. We love architecture. We want to get creative. Our creative brain brains and juices are just flowing. Let me, we're already designing the project. Let me get at it. Let me just do this one little thing. And yeah. that kind of culture of let me wow them with the design, then we'll win the project. We'll win the work. And that's like from a marketing and sales perspective, it's like, no, that's, that's kind of not the principles behind it. Like being able to articulate and understand what the client's problem is first, this is professional selling. That's more like, a, you know, down the, down the line of what professional sales is and being able to articulate and understand, understand and elicit the, you know, the emotions or the pains behind why a client is doing something and meeting them in the conversation that they're having in their own minds now so that's yeah you know that that's how you know being skilled in being able to do that that's where we start to be able to create value and also architects are really reactive as an industry we're reactive in terms of how we win work so we wait for it to come uh, or we 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 kind of get very dependent just purely on referrals and we don't necessarily have a system for setting up referrals or we're reluctant to be stirring the pot of existing existing clients there's yeah. there's not much proactive going after this is the kind of clients we want to have these are the people that we should be speaking to and actually putting that into a discipline in a business where you're spending 25 percent of your time going after the work and the clients that you want to so as i was saying yeah. before at the, at the beginning um you know developers and you know public institutions sometimes when when they go to a public tender for work they've already made loads of decisions about the project 
They've right. already made loads of decisions about how it's going to operate. And then they've got a, a, a budget in mind, which has kind of just come from somewhere. And really, architects create way more value earlier on in the process. So this is opportunity for us to start being creative and approaching, you know, approaching dialogues with, with clients much, much earlier on, looking at different types of business models. Perhaps, you, you know, there's, there are sorts of, uh, um, you know, kind of retainer fees that you can get on as an advisory or be, being a consultant first with these types of um with these sorts of projects where you're helping um, them develop a long lasting vision, et cetera, et cetera, which then yeah. lays a much more powerful foundation to be able to negotiate value, right. And, mm. and not, and not get into this position of having fees just being squeezed. The other, the other part of this as well is that if we're, we, we end up taking on projects where, where, where the fees are too low and then we do that because we might at some level feel desperate or we're kind of deluding ourselves of what the project actually is. This is the other yeah. thing. So we'll, we'll take on a project and I see it a lot where architects will take on a project. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a humble brief, let's say, mm-hmm. but then as an, as an industry, we want to turn that brief into something extraordinary and it's yeah. kind of, and now we're now we're in the process of over delivering. And mm. we're turning a very humble brief. Doesn't mean you know you can't do you can't do good work. But now you've got three people working on this small project, full time. Your fees have just been eaten away. The client, yeah, they're they're happy, great, but it wasn't necessarily what they were asking for. And now the project yeah. has turned into the Guggenheim. And I'm I'm over exaggerating a little bit here, but it, that's all right. This is the place you where you can you can do that. It 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 right. resonates a lot with me on what you're mm. saying on so many levels. And so from speaking from a purely recruitment point of view, um, when the fees are lower, it has a knock on effect from everything. So mm-hmm. what I've seen is that when the fees are lower, um, that can, there's, there's less money to go around on the pot. And as you say, a, proc, um, a project is quite unwielding. It requires a lot of work. What naturally happens is that you don't have the financial resources for people to do on it. So what do you have to do? You have to, you're then kind of in this position where you're asking your current staff to work overtime. And then mm-hmm. what really happens there, Ian, is that maybe they can do that for a bit, but they start getting exhausted. They start getting fatigued. And then what's where I think the businesses forget what happens is, is that if that one or two of these members of staff, which have been overworked, leave, then you can kind of accrue a cost because you might have to pay a recruitment consultant or you have a down, um, you have a down, you, you don't have people available or you have to pull people from other projects. So basically it's kind of like this downward spiral. The other bit that you mentioned, which I really do resonate on it, and you're right, it's really hard, isn't it? Um, because you're thinking of when you're trained as an architect um, in terms of negotiation, in terms of selling, to talk about fees. And it's extremely, I swear I'm sympathetic, it is extremely intimidating speaking to a developer when mm-hmm. they say, well, this practice I've just spoken to is going to do it for half a percent less, uh, Rian. So what are you going to do about it? And that's where, as an industry, the other bit of the problem is. And I, what I've learned in terms of my business is that there's two things recently, and I'll tell you one of my current things, right? And this happens to me all the time. So this is current now that I've learned is that because I do try to give away a lot of information 
on yeah. the architecture social. I do it because, um, but where I, what I've learned to do now is I try to give my free content in vehicles like this, which can be used by the masses and there's a gain from it, okay? Because in this piece of recording, mm -hmm. the point is people can access it and it can be used. However, what sometimes I get is um, I get a message come to me and um, it'll be a really nice person with no bad intentions, but they'll be saying, Steve, I've got this big problem at the moment. They'd send me a big email and saying, can you give me half an hour to an hour of your time? And I have to be really upfront with them and say, I can if you pay me. And yeah. what I've learned at the moment uh, is that usually that person will then never message me again um, because they were looking for a free answer. And mm -hmm. I think that that almost sounds cruel, but I have to be really astute as a professional because the architecture social costs money. My, my time is, I have to spend it on places which I have a maximum yield, such as this, or on things which I can bill to keep the architecture social going. And I think that when you're talking about giving away free works, it's really tempting to do that as a, in an architectural practice, so free feasibility study or pitching for a work, and you spend mm. a lot of time on it and nothing comes back. And where that can hurt you as a business is that then from that, you're not turning in over so much profit. You can't give your staff pay raises. You can't spend the time and energy on free stuff that you want to do. And you kind of put yourself into a box. But the, what, my point, Ryan, to end this kind of like tangent is that you have to be okay saying no. And I do think that what I've learned is that actually by sticking with your fees, so especially in recruitment, um, I'd have some companies ask for a lower theme and there's a big power in saying no. And, yeah. the, and, and once the client tests you on it and you say, well, my fee is because of X, Y, Z, it's because of my background, you get me, it's my experience, it's, mm -hmm. and I want to do it the right way. And you go through that with them. Usually, I think they come around because you're the first person that said no to them, whereas yeah. a lot of companies bend over backwards. And actually, my um, my impression is that when you're speaking to directors, even though it's scary, whether it's a development director or an architect director, um, they will respect you if you if you challenge or make them think on a point where your intentions are, um, for instance, they're good intentions. And what I mean by this in an architectural context is because you want the design to be good or you can just see the problems coming down the road. And it's actually okay to navigate those tricky points with the client at the start. Yeah, but it's absolutely. far too tempting to say no, isn't it? I'd say it's far too tempting to say, yeah, I will do that. And no, it's no problem. And then what happens is for the next year, you're in a stressful situation. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, every time you say yes to a, pro to a project at a lower fees, you're saying no to a thousand other things that you could have been doing that would yep. have been a better fit. And really the sales conversation is all about you qualifying the clients to make sure that they're, they're the right fit for you. And yeah. you know, when, when we train our clients in, in, in sales, yeah. one, of the, one of the first sort of parts of the conversation, well, first of all, we move away from using proposals, right? Because proposals and proposal writing and doing long, lengthy email negotiation, yeah. negotiating emails, that's mental. Like, you know, have it, speak about it, talk about it with people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, you listen to how property developers um, do so many of their deals. So many, you know, I've spoken with many very, very successful property developers who are still doing their contracts and deals on a handshake. 
right? And so, mm. that, you know, there's, there's, and this is not to say that we don't have like our terms and conditions signed yeah. off and done, but I'm, I'm talking about the difference between a proposal and an agreement. Right, got you. Right? So, so you're getting, so you're getting to an agreement and a handshake. Okay, great. And then you can, then you can follow up with a proposal of all the breakdowns of here's the deliverables and here's the, you know, here's your, your standard form of agreement of the RIBA or the, your, your appointment contract from the AIA or whatever it is. Um, but you can come to these terms, you know, you can come to the agreement face to face. Yeah. And, and particularly when in a, in a sales conversation, we, we have a thing called the permission step, which is one of the very first parts of a conversation where you deliberately invite all the objections up front. Good. Right. Like so, you, so you start, so you start talking about them. Like you might say something along the lines of, you know, there are two reasons why some people may choose not to do business with us. Number one, we're expensive. Number two, <laughs> number two, we charge fifty percent of our fees, all of it up front. Are either of these going to be yeah, a problem? Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. I love it. exactly. Are you, you know, sure you want to do that? You know, yeah. and, it's- and, and and exactly. And then what happens is, is, is you know, you know, do you, do you still want to continue this conversation? Yeah, well, what do you it. mean? What do you mean by expensive? What does that mean? Well, I don't know how much your project is going to cost at, at right now, but typically yeah. we're you know where we we charge a premium rate for it. Okay. Yeah. And then you can have a you can have a, a proper adult conversation about fees. And you can then you can start questioning them about what their budget is. Where do they, you know, how did yeah. they get, how do they arrive at that budget? You know, what and they've done this type of project before. So that's where they that's where they got those those fees from. Um, how are they going to be paying for it? Have they got the finance ready? Are they using a mortgage? Are they using that? You're allowed to ask all these questions. And the client appreciates it because now you're having a, you know. Yeah. Proper conversation. Yeah, you're it's, having a proper conversation about a project and about what's yeah. about what's happening. Yeah, um, and, so, and and so you you can you know you can get creative and and structure your your fees like that, and you know you can just be I'm not you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buckle. But the way that we typically sell as architects, and this is not just architects, this is all sorts of businesses and people who have been trained yeah. in the profession and they just start a business and they don't they've never had any business training whatsoever then this is what we do we try and we try and convince and persuade and you know and sell and do the dog and pony show of like let me show you know and architects will do what they know what they can do well which is design so let me show you beautiful designs and then that's that's what the client wants the reality of it is that the clients typically you know they're not as interested in design as we are mm. right some are some are, don't get, right. don't get me wrong, but the way they perceive it, they're not, they're not as sold on it as we are. And, if, right. and what's really interesting, when I have clients who move from architecture into development, and then they hire an architect, and even though they are architects themselves, hiring another architect, and they're obsessed with design, and the architects are obsessed with the, with the design, there's often that kind of a friction what happens in the selling, because the, the architect doing the selling is now, you know, kind of just obsessed with the design and the person who's putting up the money has got a whole load of other concerns which are not being discussed mm. and that's what's really worrying them so it takes a little bit of again just um there's a mindset to sales and marketing of getting inside of the head of the client and where they actually are at now what their what their problems are being able to articulate their problems in a sophisticated manner being able to elicit emotion in terms of understanding what are the real drivers for for a project being able to ask um uncomfortable questions and talk about fees up front 
and yeah. set your terms and conditions, not get confrontational about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, just having a adult conversation. Here's what here's what happens. Well, I loved I loved your bit there of like, this is the fee. Can you afford it? Now I yeah. don't mind if you can't. And that that's the other bit that um I I learned through recruitment is that there's there's an infectious it's like um i almost want to say it's like a disease i call it hopism and hopism <laughs> is like destroys businesses it's like oh if i lower the fee i hope they go with me and and it's like and and, and i think like hope really can destroy it especially in pitches because you, you then start being subservient to the point whereas for instance what i've learned which is a mad idea now but what i try to do is when I talk about things in recruitment, I actually am looking to disqualify people, which yes. sounds mad. I'm looking for the no. But then what actually happens is that I've learned that yeses are a byproduct of that and mm -hmm. that you get clients from it. So it's bizarre. It's like, look, this is my fee. This is the price. You go through all those things. You're looking for the disqualification. And it makes a lot of difference. I'll tell you years ago, one um, recruitment meeting I went for, and it was a company, and they were and um, they are a good company. We were talking purely about they didn't know who I am, and they were like, right, Steve, okay, you snuck in the back door. Okay, you snuck in the back door because I met this guy out. Um, it's like, okay, we, we might want to get you to work on the BIM coordinator role. I'm like, right, okay, fantastic. We'll talk about it now. And then the HR lady was like, but before we do that, we got to talk about the fees. And so, and as I told you in my podcast, uh, it's like architecture recruitment fee is typically between 15 to 20%, right? Yeah. And, then, and she was like, this lady was like, I work with um, another recruitment company at 12%. And I was like, okay, no problem. And um, and she was, she was like, can you work at 12%? I was like, I can work at 12%. However, we had... I normally work at 20%. So what we can do is I'll tell you my range of services and we can agree what we're yeah. cutting out. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Exactly. But it was really for And in my head, I was like, ooh, okay, meeting people in person, that's got to go. Oh, we need you to meet every candidate. I was like, well, that requires an hour of my time. So I can't do that. That's gone. Okay. Reference show on. Oh, no, we really need well, get 20 minutes time and that's going to go. And by the end of it, fee, because what I is that I wanted the job done properly. But I think what was interesting, and it wasn't her fault, but if recruitment consultants have named the process and have gone, yeah, we'll do 12%, then recruitment is doing thing of what architects have done, as in, in terms of negotiating. Yeah, not talking about the service and then the and and then by nature of it and then going lower you cheapen it you cheapen you because how do they understand what i do and so it wasn't the client's fault but the moment for me in terms of negotiation yeah okay all right yeah, all right no, on that point absolutely that, that, yeah. that's that's great you know they, they, if you know if people are pushing you down on fees then you've got to reduce the scope no, I reduce, hear you. Re reduce the scope or, you know, what else can you give me that's of equal value to me in rather than money? I think I think you're right. Well, we're at we're at the half an hour point and I good.
is maybe we could put a bit of music on where we read out some stuff in the audience. So I've got really music, Rayon, but we some what kind of are you feeling like holiday mode? That might be nice because we're all like a bit tired from we haven't been on the holiday. <laughs> Actually, it's not yeah. working. So I've got what have I got else? What's making noises? Where I was going for, but I got Vikings there. What we'll do? Oh, that's haunted house background now. Right. Music. We're going to read out some of the comments here. There. Tim, first of all, said in software develop, the use of description of Arctic very liberally, and that I really can see that. I think that that can affect things. Um, I ne I'm an architect, and I wish I could be called an architect, but ARB will sue me. Um, on that note, of all parts and the old JB, JB, just, just put another word in front of the word architect, Stephen, and then you'll, you'll get away with yeah. it. Yeah, I'm a design architect. Does that work? <laughs> Ex-architect. That's what I can be. There you go. Jason is uh, not, oh, not an architect. <laughs> yes, that's the best one. I am not an architect. B don't come for me. Um, there you go. That rhyme. Jason's on Clubhouse. Yeah, sounds like a good conversation tonight. Be there at B Square at seven o'clock. And Jason quite rightly says, this happens to me all the time. People want things for free. Yeah, uh, I, I, I when people ask for free stuff, it's never malicious. I just again, I think it yeah. should. You need to constantly show people understand the value. So, for instance, an hour of my time. If you want, like, if you, if you, I, I don't know if you've ever paid for a lawyer, and it's a good thing, as you said before, like a solicitor, you pay up front and you pay a lot for that conversation. They'll take a grand and they'll prepare. You got to send them the documentation, and if you waffle too much in it, then they're going to charge you more because it's longer to read. And then for that hour conversation, it's timed. And if you go over on it, they'll go, "Oh, we kind of went over a bit, so you need to pay us for the next chunk, right?" Totally, totally different world, and everyone respects the solicitor. So completely agree with your point there, Ian, saying that you will not catch a solicitor doing pro bono work. I'm going to read out Stephanie's point. Well, they will, and they, they will do pro bono work, but they won't, they won't do like work for free with a client where they could be charging. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Hamza saying, my internet's playing up, Ian. That's a nightmare, isn't it? It is. It is a little bit glitchy, but we can, we, can, we can live with it. We can live with it. Am I glitching out? It's the Matrix. This might be that LinkedIn wants to take me down. Damn it. It's the Chinese company that's trying to stop you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm getting all the people chasing me. on you. That's on YouTube, though, Rian. So uh, Stephanie says this is fantastic. Thank you both. You're giving a lot of free books through podcasts. I'm interested in your thoughts. Best way of dealing with challenging clients. And in the case that the team has done a lot of design work, but the client refuses to pay or even sign off design stages. Well, that's a tough one. There's a bits oh. and bobs of what we said before. Rian, I, I can, I'm passing the ball to you for two reasons. One, my internet might be glitching out. But two, do you have any thoughts on that? Or I can yes. share mine. Yes, yes. So de dealing, with, dealing with challenging clients where the team's done already a lot of design work and the, cl the client is refusing to pay. My well, first thing is stop work. Yeah. Right. So this is something that we deal a lot with, with clients is de dealing with unpaid invoices. Yeah. And this can be brutal. I mean, this, 
the stuff I've heard, Stephen. The stuff you've heard. The stuff I've heard, the things people have told me. My goodness. I had a I was chatting to one person last year, and they were telling me this was a company that was turning over around six hundred thousand pounds, and they had it was it was close to a quarter of a million pounds of unpaid fees. Right. Gosh. Right, that's that is you know that is super serious serious stuff when it's happening. Um, and so when a client is you know they're not they're not paying, the first thing to do is, is you're going to have to stop you're going to have to stop the work. Yeah. You're have to stop doing any work with them, and sometimes you'll get developers they're not paying you, and you know they 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 assume that you're in a paid when paid contract. Okay, mm. so a lot of a lot of these problems that happen happen as a result of the way that the contracts have been set up in the first place, and they and as a result of a lack of negotiation up front and negotiating face to face and having a conversation at the beginning about unpaid fees. Right, so I'll often right. do a thing with 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 clients where you know. You can bring it up at the in the in the first conversations about you know one of the biggest in- issues in our industry is is late paid invoices. How are we going to avoid that happening? I'm sure it's not going to happen with you. You seem like great people, but how do you normally deal with it with your with your other consultants that you pay that you make sure that they're getting they're getting paid on time? What would happen if you don't get if you don't get paid from your investors or whoever? Would that have an impact on on us? I'm going to tell you now that we don't work on a paid when paid paid when paid contract right now mm. say you get through all that and that you do that and i'm talking about having this conversation in the sales process right mm. now let's say that you actually sign the contract how often do you have a, a, a kind of kickoff meeting where you go through in a gracious and friendly and warm manner this doesn't need to be confrontational right or, or adversarial but actually starting off the contract with a new client, like as part of your onboarding system, here are the seven ideal qualities that make a fantastic relationship between myself as the architect and you as the client. And you could have number one, you know, um, you must realize you're going to be making a lot of decisions. The decisions that you make, they are going to impact the, the overall budget and the cost of the, of the, of the, of the process. Okay. Yeah. Number two, and then somewhere in there, then you can say, being paid on time and you just have an upfront conversation about it yet again right so we manage our fees we have a you know we have a commencement fee 50% of that fee is paid up front at the beginning of each stage we'll you know we hold on to that and then we'll we we bill on we bill even monthly on a, you know every month and we're billed by hourly rates or however the however you set your billing up or you bill at the end of milestones mm. right and then, and then you remind the client, look, if, if something happens and you can't pay us, get in contact with us. We're not adversarial. We're not going to get into a fight about it. But if there's a problem and you can't make the payment for some reason, we need to be in communication, right? If invoices go out you know, unpaid and they go beyond our time of seven days or 30 days, I'd, I always recommend to have as short as time possible. I don't know why people have 30-day um, invoice period on on architecture projects, which are already taking months and months and months. That's ludicrous. Um, but to you know, if if that mm. if that time expires and we still haven't got paid, we will stop work. And I just remind you that in our contract, we have you know we set the interest rates you know according with the Bank of England. And if we don't, and if, and if that happens and the client is still not paying, you can go through a process of increasingly 
um, stern letters, and then you've got to be prepared to take legal action. Mm, well said. Right? And that's it. You've taken to the, taken to a small small claim court. I've got a client at the moment um, who and this is in the U. This is in the US. They have taken their client to court, the small claims court. The client didn't show up for the for the for the meeting. Yeah. It was for like it was for like a restaurant or something, and they tried to, you know, pay in croissants or whatever, and. You know, the, the, my client said absolutely no way, um, but they've taken them to to court over over this. They didn't show up for their small claims thing, so that meant that the architect immediately won. And in the right. U.S., you've got a process whereby once you've won that, you can then go to the um, to the bank of the person who owes you money, and you now have a legal piece of documentation that can order the bank to take the money straight from the client's bank account and into yours. Wow. So, there you you, go. so, so we, you want to be prepared to, you know, hold your ground here when clients are not paying. And one of the first things to do is absolutely, you know, stop work. Okay, that's yeah. that's one of your leverages. Um, how you're how you're structuring your milestones as well. Like, you know, you want to be sending out your fees before you make submissions. So, if a client is not paying paying you, well, sorry, we're not going to submit the planning drawings. We're not going to release them yet. We need to get the, we need to get the fees first, right? And also be protecting your fees all the way through. So by taking chunks of money up front, and again, you negotiate that right at the beginning. You have those objection conversations up front. You've got to be prepared to have a professional adult, but you know it might be an uncomfortable conversation. But up front, it's much much easier to do it then than <clears throat> to do it halfway halfway through. And then that stops. That starts to mitigate the risk of this happening, right? Because there's always going to be, you know, people having problems. And again, yeah. if you're, if you're, if you've got a client and they're having cash flow problems and they come to you and they say, Stephen, we're so sorry. We appreciate that we're late with the payments here. We're not sure what, what, what we can do. Okay. That's the beginning of a conversation. And, you know, if you're in a solid um, cash flow position, you can come up with another agreement, I think and, that's well said. And, and and you can say, okay, I understand. Do you know when can we can we work together for a new date? Right. So you want to get them to commit to a new a new timeline. Right. Let's say they say, okay, we we guarantee we can get it to you in six weeks' time. Okay, great. If we allow you to do that, could you do this and this and this for us? Right. I noticed mm. that you're connected with such and such a person. Would you be able to give us um, you know, an introduction to that person? Could you give bring us a referral? So again, these are all points where you can negotiate something else into it. You know, if they're gonna if they're gonna be late, they're in communication with you, that's fine. You know, happy to do that. I'd like you to do something for us if we're gonna if we're gonna, you know, wait for your payment. We'd like well, you same. to introduce we'd want you to introduce us to this person or bring us a referral of a new project, whatever. Amazing. I tell you what. My internet will have to keep glitching out because it ends up bringing you giving all these gems <laughs> and nuggets. Uh, I just like I feel like I'm sitting here going, "Oh, my internet's played up." But uh, well, I think I couldn't offer the architecture gems that um, you could on that front. However, in terms of recruitment, you're right. The first thing I do when a client hasn't paid is I stop recruiting, mm -hmm. and that's a bit scary because on one end of the scale, I'm thinking, "Oh no." I could be losing future work, but you have to stop them from the situation carrying on because I'm sure the temptation is 
when you're working with other companies, it's never malicious, but like, oh, we'll deal with that later. And cash flow is key in business. Yep. And you do have to start, you know, you do have to get the money in. Oh, it causes massive problems. Yeah, so. it's your, it, absolutely. It's your, your responsibility as a, to your team, to the design, to your clients, to other clients that you've got to keep your cash flow healthy. And I often hear architects say to me, oh, but I don't want to rock the boat with a company. What are you talking about? I don't want to rock the boat. The clients already rock the boat so seriously by not paying you. They've mm-hmm. rocked the boat. They've messed yeah. up here. Yeah. Now you've got to hold them accountable. Yeah. Fair enough. Right? I tell so, you what. No, I, I and keep those thoughts, keep those thoughts. However, mm-hmm. a star in the audience, the Mr. YouTuber Hamza has another question. So it's great chat, guys. Well, it's Rian's doing all the work here because my internet's playing up because my dial-up's not working. With all your collective experience, could you allude to why there seems to be an Arctic crisis right now as described by the media? Is it Brexit, COVID-related? And what does that mean for business long-term? Hmm. Now... So, so is this referring to the shortage of architects? That's what I was thinking of. If it is Hamza, me and we were having a bit of a conversation about it earlier. Now, I think, and this is what I was saying to Rian, it's twofold why there's a shortage of architectural professionals. One is Brexit. <laughs> okay. Now, if you voted for it or not in the audience, that's your prerogative. I'm just saying to you, as the, the weatherman here, with my finger in the air, Oh, it's really catching up with us because what's happening is is that now Brexit's made it difficult and unwelcoming. And that's feedback that I do hear from a lot of architects to practice in the UK. So there's going to be less European architects, full stop. The other thing is you've got the pandemic. And because we're not going around with our um, masks everywhere and we're little rebels within the world within the UK, that means that the border is shut and you will find companies like Australia and New Zealand, in my opinion, because the borders are shut, then we miss out on all them Australian architects. We miss out on all those New Zealand architects as well. So Rian, I hopefully you could hear me properly there and I didn't cut out enough. Was the internet all loud, okay? All loud and clear, solid. Yeah, crystal there you shot. go. Right when I say the controversial stuff, like anyone that voted for Brexit, look what you've done. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say that, but you might want to have a think about hard, fast what's happened. Okay. Uh, so Hamza, so sorry, I missed it. Don't worry, you can watch the 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 recap of this afterwards on YouTube, and you can check it out. Now, Tim actually says. Have you well, ever wait, done sh- just on just on that the, this this architect on the architect crisis because it's interesting, um, you know what what the what the experience is and I think there's there's other things here as play as well. So you know a lot of in fact the majority of the clients that I work with tend to be in the US. Yep. And they're also experiencing this. I've you know dubbed it the great staff shortage of 2021. You know, and there is particularly <laughs> in, particularly in the residential sector. There is a right. huge boom that's happening because of because of COVID and people are starting to reevaluate how they want to live and how they how they work. And this collectively has, has meant a huge amount of work that's happened. And then architects have now kind of taken on loads of work very, very quickly. 
they, you know, number one, again, they typically do not have any hiring processes in place, as you sure must know this, Stephen, that it's, mm -hmm. you know, most architects are not active, like they, they either do nothing or they, they're, they're depending on CVs just coming in. But yes. hiring is hiring is like another form of marketing. And often they're not doing anything like that. Right. Um, yeah. And so they don't have like a pipeline, if you like, of 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 people that they've been cultivating or, or new or new stuff happening. So when they suddenly take on a load of new work, then it's very reactive. It's happened very quickly. And then everyone's doing it all at the same time. And now we've got a bottleneck shortage of, of staff. The other thing is like in the, uh, you know, just from perspective in the U S they don't have Brexit happening there. Um, but they are experiencing, you know, obviously having lockdown borders, no international people coming in, but you've got problems in, you know, different States where, you know, you can't get, if you're based in Montana, you can't get, um, architects coming from LA or New York to come to, you know, there is just a physical shortage of people here. We're, we're very sparsely, um, populated, uh, and, and there's also this, this gulf of what happens because there's enough architecture students and what you're seeing in the U S particularly is like, you know, students coming out of university and they're now commanding ridiculous salaries, like really high yeah. salaries, you know, 75, 80,000 to 120,000 as new starters sometimes. And this is causing all problems in the, in the businesses because you're getting students who've got zero experience coming into offices now getting paid more than other architects that's causing is causing tensions in the practices mm. as soon as the the boom dissipates or we kind of it just restabilizes like it like it will then those are going to be the first people to to lose their jobs um and the, the other the other kind of specifics of the shortage uh is that you know there's a, there's a lot of architects without the right type of experience and skill sets which is also mm. starting to point a little bit towards well what's happening at university now, I'm not saying that universities should be a place where you're, you know, I don't think the function of architectural education is the is the is the place to be, you know, kind of making ready-made architects. But the industry yeah. does require somewhere to be doing that. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, because yeah. you know, and and again, that's why things like the apprenticeship scheme are such are so brilliant. Because then agreed. we because then we can have more people going straight into industry. You do not need sorry, you do not need seven years of education to be a part two. You don't yeah. like what, what you end up doing as a part two and in, in an office, what I mean, right? Those five years of education are brilliant in and of themselves for the joy of learning about architecture and thinking about design. And actually there's a lot more, um, you know, I'm seeing more, I'm seeing more and more architects move into the world of like UX design or software. Now there yeah. isn't a structured path from architecture design into other industries, but my God, you know, you want to take architect, you want to take that hundred thousand investment you just made into your education. You want to think whether going into architecture is the best place to use that, right? Because yeah. there are other industries who will lap up the skill sets of the architect. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be straightforward, but there's a huge amount of, of potential there. And I'm, I'm enjoying speaking to people who have moved and, and been very creative with their career paths and taken an unstructured route into it into something different and are being incredibly well remunerated for it. They're able to be expressive and creative and have an impact on the city uh, and, and the urban environment, but not being architectural designers. And again, yeah. and, and, and for the industry, right, actually being trained in the core competencies of an architect, right, learning about building science, learning about um, 
how things are actually put in, put together, construction logic, that's really valuable right now. That's a really valuable skill set. So knowing that sort of stuff means that your you know your fees go up, your your wages go up, you're worth more to the industry. Yeah. So there's yeah. A, there is a kind of basic supply and demand equation happening, um, and so it, yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's very interesting. I do think the architecture education is in a is in a very interesting point to kind of get really super refined and nuanced and there are lots of new pathways coming forward and architects and I, and I think you know certainly my own architectural education the tutors were very were very supportive and interested in you taking a a divergent pathway yeah doing yeah. something and doing something different and it's and it's very valuable and again the more that we integrate the conversation of business and entrepreneurship into education that makes the the dangers of the or the risk of the unstructured path into a different industry a little bit more palatable right because now you're thinking like a business person now you're thinking about how can i bring value to other people what sorts of services can i create out of my skill sets yeah. and we're not driven purely by the you know the kind of studio model where i'm designing a project for me because that's what i'm interested in well said so that's you know again that's that's a that's a mindset shift but it's it's very interesting we're in a good one well amazing i want to give you one of my virtual round of applauses for that (laughs) oh it's brilliant because it's true i kind of fell into sales and the reason i did was because I didn't want to do my part free and I mm-hmm. didn't really know another route. And I'm a talkative person. So someone yeah. was like, oh, you think you should do sales? But it was like going from, um, what's the expression? It's like out of the frying pan into the fire. It's like, okay, <laughs> now I don't have to do my part free, but now I've got to call people and make sales. Hey, um, hiya, can I, can I interest you in uh, a bunch of Revit uh, architects? Because in 2014, that was the thing. So it was like trading one evil for another. But uh, to, to, no, but it, it's done me all right in the end. It's yeah, done me yeah, all right yeah. in, the, in the end. And that's where I'm, I'm fortunate that I've chosen to be within architecture without doing what I didn't want. And I didn't mm. have a passionate for the technical detail. And I get to meet people like you so it's worked out for me but for anyone in the audience and hopefully i'm not glitching but i do see people going into ux design one of my best mates went into it who studied in part one but yeah. it was his own initiative it was his own mm-hmm. going out there and coding and doing those things that you do not learn in architecture school but one thing he always told me is that he's super valued because they love the way he thinks as a designer and that was taught in architecture so i do and i do think that even the way i design the architecture social and with the way i look at business um all that dna comes from doing my part one and part two so i, I don't regret it but yeah you don't have to do the um the part one part two part three but i am sympathetic for people that do not do it because the initial reaction when i told people i'm not going to do my part three is they're like are you okay What's wrong in your head? You know, like, why do you not want to do your part three? I remember, actually, my mum was a bit like that. She was a bit like, really? You don't want to be an architect? Then five years. But actually, it was my dad who was okay with it. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. And I went, wow, you're so understanding. And you could be really critical because you supported me there. And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, 
I was a tool man and I hated it. And I, every day when I was a tool man, I hated it. And um, now he, he does something that he loves. And so Amazing. even though, yeah. And, 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 and that was his humbleness to, to realize like, um, even though I've invested time and he supported me that maybe I didn't want to do it and it, it's led to good things. So, mm. but uh, the irony is that if I didn't do architecture, I wouldn't be here. And so that's why I'm still thankful for it. And, you know, it's like you have your architecture practice, but you really, you do a lot of business consulting and that makes sense, but it's your, uh, your experience in practice of speaking to people, which is why that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. So it's never a way. So anyone here, you should apply your architecture in whatever way, shape, or form. I always think of like the matrix of architects. You know, you can be whatever architect you want. You don't need to be on ARB's register. But oh, I sound like I'm ARB bashing, but I'm not. I'm just saying. Uh, that's absolutely right. The ar architectural education in itself, and the and the the power of thinking like an architect, and the power yeah. that we get for being able to deal with complexity and problem solving and being able mm. to deal with situations where there is no clear answer that's a you know and the and the fact that it's, it's a, one of the few disciplines which focuses on being you know a deep generalist right so that yeah. you've got to be able, and that you're able to think about things in very minute detail to and then being able to understand them in, the, in a kind of a more complex context yeah. those are very very valuable you know, thinking skills that can be applied all over the place. So I think architecture has got so much value in like that. University, you know, tuition tutors know that yeah. as well. And it's just kind of making more pronounced pathways of, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be disappointed if they started splitting the, the degrees up and, you know, you had architectural thinking as a degree. Um, and then if you want to be a, you know, a licensed, you know, practicing architect, then there's a different pathway, which is, you know, you, you know, called your, you, where you get your license to practice type of thing. Uh, I, and, I agree. And then you can do, you can, you can become qualified in, in many different ways and you don't even need to be at university. There's, there's yeah. no, nothing wrong with, you know, being, I, I think getting trained as an architect through an, an apprenticeship and you're not in university at all and you're solely learning it in good practices, right? And practices who are committed to education and they see that as part of their own responsibility and part of their business culture. Yeah. Then, you know, you, you can get a very, a very rich, a very rich and more accessible profession. Yeah, I agree. And just to add on that, um, do you know what's mad? Some of the less quote unquote professional, less quote unquote places, while I think it's really good to know where you want to be and looked after sometimes i look at some bad experiences in terms of employment as good lessons how not to be done and that's why i think if you're in a bad situation remember you can always get out of it and you should always aim to get out of it but ironically sometimes a disorganized or a bad situation or a tough deadline can be a really great experience the mm. trick though is not to repeat that and to look for something that doesn't do that but i remember i had a, i you know i had a i was I had a very difficult manager many, many years ago. And at the time, I thought he was quite unreasonable. But I look back and I could see the pressure he was under. Yes. And it was, and it was squashed fees. And I, unfortunately, his behavior didn't come out in the best way towards me. But then I look back and perhaps I was not the right person to help him. Or perhaps I was not, you know, the, it was, the situation was difficult. And I do think that actually, um, 
you know, hindsight is a great thing. But again, the fees kind of do squash uh, everything down. So Jason, why are you randomly saying, yeah, I remember when Rian came to my house to interview me. It was, <laughs> it was a great evening. <laughs> I'm sure it was, but I love it. Like, it was, right. Jason's got a really, really beautiful home up in... Um, up north of Manchester, I, I know Lancashire. he has. He's got. Um, it, it was in the. It was in like the local newspaper. Rion, you it's know? really nice. I drove. I drove up there and interviewed him in his front room. Did you? Did you? Oh, I think I've seen that. That was. Um, that was when you talked. It was the first podcast, wasn't it? In business architecture, where was that right? Where you talked about Jason's role, responsibilities. Yes. Yeah, it was the first time I interviewed Jason. Yeah, well, see, that's difficult because you have to hardwire all this stuff. But while, I, if you see me looking at my phone here, there's two reasons for that, Rian. And it's not because I wasn't listening to you. It's because doing it, Mr. Oliver Lowry called me and I said, I'll call you back after my live stream because that's <laughs> the one downside of lives, you know. And the other thing is I worked out why my internet is glitching a bit. And I think my, downloading computer, something sketchy. my computer in the living room is downloading something. <laughs> and I can't go now. So this is the downside of non-physical um, non podcasting. There we go, Jason. Do you see? You, you, there you go. Right. Okay. Rion, we've had a cracking hour here. Okay. Thank you very this much. Is the, uh, no, we've had a cracking time. And I'm going to put all your links up. You're an absolute star of a guest, putting up with my internet, putting up with my questions, putting up with my rants. You can check out Rion's architecture practice here, as you can also check out the business of architecture, which has the podcast, which is super, super cool. And you can hear Rian speak to lots of people, lots of very important people from so the I'll, industry. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little plug here, right? So, so there, are two, there are actually two podcasts that I host. So I, I, I put out two podcasts a week, right? Do you? One, I do. One is the Let's business. See the other one. So one Let's is the business it. of architecture UK. Yeah, I'm gonna right. get that link. That's what I'm typing. I'm so not to, not listening. The, the, the website business of architecture UK unfortunately recently just got hacked, and so it's down. It's down at the moment. But you can hear it on Spotify and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Like business of architecture UK. What about and this then, one? And then business yeah. of architecture. That is me interviewing typically US clients or US based architects. I found a little hidden gem here, Brian. Archie oh, Travels. <laughs> no, take this yes. down. Oh god, I listen to it now. No. Look how it and do you know what? This is this is like antidote for the coronavirus. This this know? was this was this was look We're taking these. it down. May May 2018. I've got to scroll down. That's that's old. There's there's loads okay. of Okay, which loads is the other me floating around from 2014 and earlier where I'm I think they look good. I think you're being arsed on yourself now, Rion. You know, they were they were these little rambles that I used to go on. I, I think to... I, th I think they, it looks good. There, there used to be an, well, there, there's an app called Anchor, and when Anchor first started in about 2015, and it was basically like a, a an audio version of Twitter. So yeah. you would you would say like a little minute talk, and then other people would comment on it, and give you. Um, feedback or you know make comments and you can have these little conversations on on anchor it was really it was really really good actually kind of like yeah. a little bit like clubhouse but not as free streaming okay and, and about 2015 i got obsessed with this app and was making loads of these little these little um 
narratives as I was wandering around New York City or wherever it was I was traveling. Oh, fair um, enough. And um, that's where that grew from. Well, I think it's amazing. And you've got all these super professional um, guests. You've, you've interviewed people from Squires. You, you've, you've somehow wangled me on the list, which I appreciate. Absolutely. Look at that. There Just you go. Recruitment with Stephen Drew. There you go, mate. It's all kicking off. But it's actually, um, that was the, you, you're the one podcast where I then went back into the office the next day, next week, and everyone in Accurate Lowry had seen me on there. And they're like, is that you? And I'm like, I know. Don't I don't know how I snuck in, but it was a fun ride. So you've made me famous. Rian, you've been an absolute Brilliant. star. I am going to I'm gonna end the podcast here and turn off my computer in the living room downloading. But you can check out Rian, business architecture, and you can message him on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn and check out his podcast and um maybe we'll see you again next time when i get fiber internet rian you know love it i love it anytime Stephen. thank you everyone thank you for it being in the audience and i should play some music on the way out so what kind of music should we fancy should i get some like retro music with a game over yeah some like 90s hard rock 90s hard rock i've actually got something that's, like re- that. that's retro nowadays isn't it i've got something like that i've got like something here for that here we go inferno you what you want hard rock oh that's what you want. there you go we'll, we'll leave it there brilliant there you go see you later guys take care